Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We've been talking about the fight of faith and I've really been wondering why we're really sticking on this subject and I know why now. So many people have been under attack in many different ways, physically in their bodies and are in dire need of divine intervention. In many cases, it's between life and death. And you know what? We don't want to ignore this. We want to realize and recognize the fact that we can strengthen our faith so that we can receive from God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without faith, the gospel doesn't benefit anybody. Nothing is more important than developing the highest level of faith that we possibly can so that we can be better receivers because God's the greatest giver. He's given all things. We've got to receive what he's given and that takes faith. And this subject here is what's going to give us really an understanding of how to develop the highest level of faith that we possibly can in God. We'll quick review. Look at Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. Notice what it says. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. But now notice, it's the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, while they loved not their lives to death. What does that mean? They are testifying to the blood of Jesus is what that means. They're giving their testimony or adding their testimony to the blood covenant that God made with man through Jesus Christ. And so it's essential that we understand the place the blood covenant holds in our life of faith. And if we don't, we're not going to have the foundation that we need for faith. And so we've been talking about that. So when Jesus was standing there in the wilderness and tempted by the devil in all three spheres of man's being, spirit, soul, and body, what words did he use? It is written. He was basically using the word of his testimony to quote the covenant that God made with Abraham to let him know, I know what has been written. So get thee behind me. It is written. It is written. It is written. If Jesus, the son of God, had to use words of faith, because fighting the good fight of faith is a fight with words. You ever hear the expression, them there is frightening words. Fighting words. You ever hear that expression? Yeah, those are fighting words. We're fighting the good fight of faith with words that testify to the truthfulness of the blood covenant that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And so that's important for us to understand. Now, reasons why God would ever enter into a blood covenant relationship with the human race. There are some reasons for at least we're going to share here this morning. Number one, first primary reason is love. God so loved the world. But look in, in 1 Samuel in chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, this is from the Living Bible Translation. Love is a reason for a blood covenant relationship. Because a blood covenant relationship, remember, is a serious relationship. So look at what it says. After King Saul had finished his conversation with David, David met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond of love between them. Jonathan swore to be his what? Blood brother and sealed the pact by giving him his robe, sword, bow, and belt. King Saul now kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home anymore. So we see here, these are the characters in play, okay? We've got King Saul. We have his son, Jonathan. We have David. Saul was the king, but he was disobedient and was rejected because of his disobedience from being king. David was anointed to be king as a young age of probably around 14, 15, whatever, around that time. Saul, Jonathan being Saul's son was heir 
to the throne. But because Saul was disobedient, he was rejected by God, he lost the kingship to David, although David wasn't king yet. But Jonathan, remember, being the heir to the throne, could have been very upset with David. But he wasn't upset with David. You know why? Saul wasn't concerned about the will of God, but Jonathan was. And Jonathan said, well, if that's the will of God that David be king and I lose out and I'm not the heir to the throne, that's okay with me. God's will be done, not my will be done, and not my father's will be done. And so he entered into a blood covenant relationship. Why? To let David know, not only do I love you as a blood brother, but you can trust me with your life. Because you know what? His life depended on it. Saul was hunting him down like, a, like an animal to try to kill him because, why? He was taking over his kingship. But Saul was disobedient. He didn't blame himself. Who did he blame? David. David had nothing to do with it. He was the youngest of the eight children of uh, Jesse. Okay? But to know that you can trust me, David, let's cut a blood covenant, Jonathan says. And they do. That's number two. To ensure trust. To ensure trust. Abraham said, how do I know I can trust you? And God said, let's cut the covenant. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 6. This is now from the Living Bible also. And listen to the wording of it. God also bound himself with an oath. Did you get that? God's sovereignty is revealed right here. He bound himself to an oath so that those he promised to help would be perfectly sure and never need to wonder whether he might change his plans. Did you hear that? Everybody say it with me, God can't change. He has given us both his promise and his oath, two things we can completely count on, for it is impossible for God to tell a lie. Now all those who flee to him to save them can take new courage when they hear such assurances from God. Now they can know without doubt that he will give them the salvation he promised. This certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, connecting us with God himself behind the sacred curtains of heaven, where Christ has gone ahead to plead for us from his position as our high priest with the honor and rank of Melchizedek. Do you see that language? How do we know we can trust him to honor his promise or keep his word? He swore by an oath and he cannot lie. And once he binds himself to his word, his sovereignty is revealed within the parameters of the word. He cannot operate outside of that or he lies and forfeits his life. That's how strong a blood covenant relationship is. Look at the next one. Number three is provision. Another reason for cutting a blood covenant with someone would be for provision. And you might be thinking, well, what does God need? Well, you're going to see it. Look in Genesis chapter 15. Man needed something and God needed something. Whenever people come into a covenant relationship of blood, both parties need something. They have particular needs, okay? After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing that I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, 
but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. So what God is saying to him, I'll give you something, but you've got to give me something. I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you blessings untold. Because you see, I need something from you. What does he need from him? An avenue into the earth to redeem man from his fallen state. God needs an avenue into the earth. Remember Jesus says, he that comes in by the door is coming in by the right way. But the robber and thief came in by the wrong door. He's talking about the devil who came in through a serpent to try to exercise some form of uh, authority in the earth or influence in the earth. That's the wrong way. But Jesus says, I came in by the way of birth. I was born into the world. That's the right way to come in. So to get him into the world, God needed a man like Abraham to cooperate with him, develop an Abrahamic covenant with him, blood covenant, so he could get him into the earth. And we, we could chase his, or trace his lineage all the way back to Adam, Abraham, and so on. That's how he got into the earth. So God needed a way into the earth, to the earth to redeem man from his fallen state. But guess what? Man needed a way out of the earth to heaven. To escape what? Eternal damnation. And so, here it is. God says, I'm giving myself to you, and you can count on me, because I'll seal the covenant with my blood. And man says, okay, I'll give myself back to you, to give you the access you need to enter the earth, to redeem man from his fallen state. Now, here's the point. God can't lie, and God can't die. But man can lie, and man can die so who's qualified to enter into a blood covenant relationship with the God of creation? What man on earth? Confucius? Muhammad? Buddha? Moon? Krishna? Shall we go on? Who is qualified? What man can possibly say, I will stand as the covenant head representative for all the human race, and I will not lie, but I will die. And offer my blood to seal the covenant and never die again. Who? Look at Hebrews 7.22. Hebrews 7.22 says it all. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Jesus is the one. There is no other. He's the God-man. He came to the earth, born of a virgin, without the Adamic sin nature in his blood, so that he could be the blood covenant head that represents the human race and enter into a blood covenant relationship with God the Father, the creator of all things, and they could come together and seal the covenant of blood so that man could be saved, delivered, and so on. That's what it would take. If they were to enter into that blood covenant relationship, neither covenant head could break the covenant or alter the word of it. Why? Because God can't lie and God can't die. So guess what? It's not about us. It's about him. 
In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, look at this sometimes overlooked statement. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises because of the better sacrifice because of the better blood. We have a better covenant. These people that say, oh, the, the, the um, Jewish people, you know, they are the God's, God's covenant people. and all. We got a better covenant. We have a better covenant with better promises than what they had. Look at number four, protection. Go back to 1 Samuel 18, and this is verse four. And the living Bible, once again, this is Jonathan giving to David. He sealed the pack by giving him four things, his robe, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Of course, King Saul now kept David because he wanted to kill David. But anyhow, lo- notice those four things. He gave him his robe represents kingdom authority. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. And Jonathan represented kingdom authority. He gives him his sword, his belt, his sword, and his, his spear and belt. Why? It represents his armor. What he is saying is this. I will protect you even from my father who wants to kill you. And I will give you all the weaponry of the armies of Israel. I'm standing behind it for you. David, what can you give me? A slingshot. A slingshot. Doesn't seem fair, does it? He offers God, Jonathan, a slingshot. Jonathan says, I offer to you all the power of the armies of Israel. All the forces I offer to you for your safety and for your protection. So, Jonathan, being the heir, stands for all the powers of Israel to offer David for his safety and protection. Well, guess what? God says... I'm giving you my armor. The armor of God to stand against all the wiles of the devil. We don't stand against the devil in our own strength or ability. We stand against him by being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We don't have a whole lot to give to God, but he has a whole lot to give to us. It is so one-sided, it's mind-boggling as to why God would want to do this, but we already said why, because he loves us. He wants us to trust him. He wants to provide for us a way out of this place into him in eternal glory. And what else? He wants to protect us from the evils of this age, enabling us to rise up and overcome in every area of our lives. Now look as this story unfolds, and you'll, we'll tie it together in a moment. We've got, jo- we got Jonathan. We've got David. But now we have Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Okay? Look in 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. This son of Jonathan would also have been an heir to the throne. Saul was his grandfather. But Jonathan and Saul were killed at battle, at war. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame at his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan who were killed at war out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. They were in Arab, Arabia. They were 
among the Arabs. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was, next name for your child, Mephibosheth. Okay? A lot of biblical names here that are intriguing, aren't they? Mephibosheth was his name. All right. They were killed at war. He is living in poverty in a little hut in what is called Lodibar. Lodibar. And in that place of poverty, crippled, lame, due to a fall, he is, first of all, in fear of David, but secondly, angry at David. You see, ever since he was young, after the fall, he was told that David is the one that stole the, the throne from your, father Saul, your grandfather Saul and your father Jonathan. And do you realize, Mephibosheth, that if David found you, you'd be dead. Because you're a threat to his kingdom. And no king wants a threat to his kingdom. So Mephibosheth, we're going to hide you in this little shack, this little hut over here in Lodibar. And there you're going to live as a pauper, as a beggar. You can't even provide for yourself, but at least you're alive. He developed a hatred over, toward David over all the years, thinking that this is what David did. Because you see, he was only five when his father and grandfather were killed. And not everybody knew about the covenant that David made with Jonathan. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, here is what happens. He's in fear in this hut in Lodibar. And he is sent for now by the king because he's found out. And I'm sure what's coursing through his brain is, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. He finally found out that I'm alive. And I was an heir to the throne. And I'm going to be a problem for him. And now I'm dead. He's surely going to take my life. Let's read it. Chapter 9, verse 1. David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not. And oh, he was afraid. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. 
and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. That's called justice. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. That's called kindness of the highest degree. Any subject that's called to eat at the table of the king is honored and shown kindness to the highest level. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Hmm. Why are you doing this to me? If you, if you have any idea how I've talked about you, David, how I've thought about I'd like to kill you like my grandfather wanted to kill you, you've destroyed our family line of kings. But you see, Jonathan understood it. Mephibosheth never had a chance to understand it. Saul could care less, couldn't care less about it. But David understood his covenant that he had with Jonathan. He wasn't going to hurt Mephibosheth. He brought him to give him back all his property. He brought him back to place him in his palace, let him live there and sit at the table, the highest place of honor among the king and all his servants and everyone that was there. Well, in 2 Samuel 21, verse 7, here's the reason. The king spared Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was Saul's grandson, because, here's the reason, of the oath David and Jonathan had sworn before the Lord. In our Western culture, we don't understand the depth of blood covenant. David was really embroiled in all kind of political affairs. Remember, Mephibosheth has a son here. So that some time has gone by. He was five when they died. He's been living in this shack, this hut, in poverty, in fear, lame, with no help. Doesn't understand it, doesn't even know it. But his father was in the blood covenant relationship with David. And David finally finds him out. And look what he does for him. And why did he do it for him? Because, because Mephibosheth was so good. Because Mephibosheth was so loyal. Did Mephibosheth do anything? Had nothing to do with Mephibosheth. Had nothing to do with his behavior. Had nothing to do with his conduct. Had nothing to do with his character. He said, I have shown you this kindness because of your father Jonathan with whom I have a blood covenant relationship. So all that I have is also yours. You will sit with me, you will eat at my table, and you will enjoy life like you've never enjoyed it before. It's what he says to him. No performance on your part. It doesn't matter what you did or what you did not do. Well, listen. We have a covenant of blood that you and I are beneficiaries of, not because of our performance, not because of what we have done, but because of a blood covenant relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Because these two covenant heads came together, negotiated the terms of the covenant, and decided certain things that they would give us. 
Now remember, like Mephibosheth, we all are the product of a fall. We didn't fall, but Adam fell. And because of Adam's fall, we're lame, impoverished, spiritually, without hope, no way of escape, empty, in despair, and the list goes on and on. But like Jonathan and David, God the Father and God the Son made a decision to enter into a blood covenant relationship for the human race. So the human race that was once affected by the fall can be restored in him. When you and I accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives, guess what happens? The covenant with Jonathan and David was made between them and their seed unborn yet in them. You realize that you and I are in Christ and when the covenant was made praise God it was made between God the Father and his seed who is Christ and even though we were yet unborn at that time the covenant still belongs to us because we were in him and when the moment you accept Christ as Savior and Lord of your life you become the seed of Abraham if you be in Christ your Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise the promise that was made, praise God, was made so that you and I could enter into the covenant benefits as beneficiaries and experience all these things because God who cannot lie says, I'm restoring back to you everything that you lost. It belongs to you. Now it takes faith to enforce it. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. It is as sure as the covenant God made with Noah. Look at Genesis. Genesis chapter 9, 13. This is God speaking. I do set my bow in the cloud. Listen to the wording. And it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth. That the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Did you notice that God used the term covenant? Did you notice that he said, I have made a vow, an oath with all the inhabitants of the earth through Noah and I will never, ever, 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 ever flood the earth ever again and destroy all human life. Never will I do it again. The question is, can he do it? He has the ability to do it. Will he do it? Absolutely not because why? God can't lie. Once he binds himself to his word, he cannot operate without the parameters or the boundaries of that word or he forfeits what? His life. Can you see that? This is how we get strong faith. Are you ready for it? Got your shouting clothes on? Look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3. We have no problem believing in Noah's covenant, do we? Ever see a rainbow in the sky after a storm? That's what it's usually seen, isn't it? What's it remind us of? 
What's it remind him of? You're looking at me like, does God need to remind, be reminded of anything? I didn't write the Bible, he did. And it says it reminds him, right? It reminds him. He's reminded of it, right? Okay. You ready for it? And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. This is not Noah's rainbow. Look at chapter 10 verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. Who do you think that's talking about? Let's put it together. There's another rainbow in a cloud round about the throne of God which is a reminder of the covenant of grace that God made with man or the human race through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when God looks down at you and God looks down at me, he sees us filtered through that blood covenant that he has with us or we have with him. And he doesn't look at us. He looks at Jesus, his performance. That's why we're invited to go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why those two forces, those two powerful uh, forces, mercy and grace? Mercy, not giving us what we deserve. Grace, giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is giving us what Jesus deserves. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life, not any of us here, and we never will live a perfect life. But praise God, even when we fall and are lame, thank God who picks us up with his everlasting arms and by the blood that he cleanses us and washes us and makes us pure. Once again, who does that for us? If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So praise God, there is a rainbow. The other rainbow is the rainbow of the covenant of grace. That he looks through and sees all of us filtered through that precious blood covenant. That he will not alter. He will not change. You know why? He's not going to forfeit his life. He says, I'm he that liveth and was dead once. I'm alive forevermore. And I've got the keys, the authority of hell and the grave. I'm not changing my word. So guess what? When you and I find a promise in the word of God. It's sealed with blood. When God made a promise like to Noah, he will not change and will not alter it. That's how faith works. God who cannot lie says, I'm not a man that, that I should lie, nor the son of man that I should repent. If I said it, I will do it. If I spoke it, I will make it good. It is up to us to find out what he said. And then guess what? To know because of the blood covenant, he cannot alter what he said. He will bring it to pass. So what does the covenant give us? Well, since you asked, I'll give you a few points. Number one, union with God. Two Peter. Let's look at it. Chapter one, verses two through four. Union with God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that's called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given us unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped we needed an escape the corruption that's in this world through lust so what is he saying 
When we made Christ Savior and Lord of our lives, we partook of the divine nature. The old man is gone. The new man is in. We're a new species in Christ that never before existed. Paul said we're his masterpiece. His workmanship of skill. Skillfully handcrafted by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's what this covenant gives us. That's who we are when we accept the Christ as our Savior. Number two, righteousness. Remember, he gave him his robe, that Jonathan gave David his robe. Toga virilis, the robe of righteousness. When you and I made Jesus the Lord of our lives, we took off our filthy rags that we were clothed with and just tossed them aside. And he clothed us with the robe of righteousness. We're no longer sinners saved by grace. We were sinners. We're saved by grace. We're now the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ. Notice that expression, in Christ. Just as Mephibosheth was in Jonathan, we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, let's read it. The covenant gives us a right standing with God. He had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, what? Sinners saved by grace? No, the righteousness of God in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who we are. That's what we have in him. The third one, look at the right, to use the name of Jesus. In Colossians 3 and verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Thanks be to God. Everything we do on this earth, we have a right to do in the name of Jesus. He has given us His name to be used as ambassadors for Him, to transact business for Him here upon the earth. This is the family name, and we have a right to use it. In my name, cast out devils. In my name, speak with new tongues. In my name, take up serpents. If you drink any day, thing, it won't hurt you. In my name, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. We have a right to the family name. This is how faith is built. Look at the next one. Deliverance in Colossians chapter 1, 12 and 13. Give thanks unto the Father which has made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In Adam, we were in a fallen state, lame, and could not escape the corruption in this world. In Adam, our future was sealed. Our doom was sealed. We were sentenced to a lake of fire. And there is no way, shape, form or fashion it was impossible for us to uproot ourselves from the powers of darkness from that kingdom that we were in because of the fall of man but God made a decision to enter into a blood covenant relationship with humanity through the blood of Jesus Christ and when he did he said if anybody calls upon your name I will rip them out of that power of darkness I'll put them in a new kingdom my kingdom of love so when you were over here and I was over here as a sinner sentenced to eternal damnation I heard about the name of Jesus and I called upon it and when I called upon the name of Jesus I'm telling you the devil tried to hold me down with every force he possibly had in his kingdom every emissary of his to try to hold me back but God pulled me up plucked me up out of the miry clay and put me over here and transplanted me in his eternal kingdom of love 
And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord has a right to be saved, delivered. And then there's so much more. Sonship, heirship, dominion over sin, healing, protection, provision, future glory, a brand new body, glorified body, glorified state. We all have that. I'm going to conclude this message with the simple testimony of a man named Stanley who was a missionary to Africa way back in the day. So way back in the day, you know it means way back. Okay. So as a missionary in Africa, he was really concerned about these people in the villages that have never heard the name of Jesus. He made a decision that he was going to go there. He was led there by the Lord. And he was going to proclaim Jesus to these people that are in need of salvation. When he gets there, he had travel guides and a company of people that would go with him. Well, they gave him advice and said, look, if you think you're going to travel here in Africa and all of Africa and evangelize these villages, you're not dealing with people that you know about. Because you see, some of them are cannibals and you might be lunch when you visit. And so he said, oh, well, what are we to do? He said, well, what you are to do is to enter into a blood covenant relationship with this tribe right here. You enter a covenant relationship with them and you'll be okay in your travels throughout all Africa. He said, I don't understand the blood covenant. What do you mean? He explained it. He said, well, what do I have to give? He said, I talked to the tribal chieftain already. The king, what he wants from you is your goat. He likes goat's milk. I want your goat. He'll offer you something if you offer him that. And so Stanley made a decision to enter into a blood covenant relationship with this tribal king. So they had the ceremony. They cut the covenant. And usually that's where we get our handshake from. They cut the palm of the hand or the wrist. And when they do that, they mingle their blood. They shake hands and mingle their blood. And they become blood brothers. You don't violate the covenant of blood because if you do, you die. Okay, so listen. So the, he gives him the goat and the king's all, the, he's all happy. He got his goat's milk. But the king gives him his staff and says, take it with you on your travels. What's this little Stanley going to do? Okay, I got the staff. He begins his journey. He starts traveling throughout all of Africa. He comes across a group of cannibals. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. A group of hungry cannibals. And when he meets them, he meets them because he is surrounded by their warriors all around about. What are we going to do? It felt like when I was in the Philippines and got abducted. We were surrounded all about. He pulls out the staff, puts it into the ground, and all these warriors with their spears ready to go, he watches them all bow on their knees and their tribal leader says what can we do for you we will assist you in any way you see what the staff represented was the power of that tribe was the most powerful tribe in all of Africa and they knew if we just harm one hair on your head we're all dead so they just stood back and just said We'll do whatever you want. It's all yours. When Mephibosheth said to David, why are you doing this for me? He said, it's not about you, Mephibosheth. And he showed him the scar. When you and I get to glory, we're going to see the lamb as he had been slain. The marks, I saw the lamb as he had been slain. The marks of the covenant 
will be revealed. We're going to see it. We are in covenant, not with the greatest tribe on earth. We're in covenant with the greatest force in all the universe. And he stands behind every word of the covenant. That's how faith is developed. How do you know God will supply your need? Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according unto His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, not the economy or the stock market. How do I know that I'm so weak that I can get strength from above? I can do all things through Christ who is the strength of my life. Let the weak say, I am strong in the Lord and the power of His might. But I need healing. Forget not all of His benefits who forgives every sin, who heals every disease, who redeems our lives from destruction. Don't forget one benefit that belongs to us. Why? Because of what we've done? No. But because of what he's done. Because of the blood covenant. I pray you got something out of this. Let's stand before the Lord.